You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, if you haven't had the opportunity to stop into your local Interstate Batteries retail store and talk with a battery specialist, you need to do that because these guys are very knowledgeable about every kind of battery, hence the name Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera to your rangefinder, any battery that you need, these guys can help you find. Even if it's a specific, unique, one-off battery, these guys can help you find what you need. If you want to find out more information on Interstate Batteries, about their brand, about their history, about the company in general, and all the batteries they offer, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Hunting Gear Podcast. Today on the phone, we have an average Joe just like me and you, Mr. Josh Mapes. Josh, what's up? Not too much, Dan. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. How'd your season go this year? <laughs> you know what? I, I had a heck of a season. I tagged out in Michigan on bucks and got two does here. Nice. So the freezer is full. The freezer is full. We were trying to, well, we put five total in it. My uh, my 10-year-old boy put a doe down in early October with a crossbow, and that was the first, or that was our second deer in the freezer. But, yeah, we're, we're going to be eating good for the year. Awesome. Awesome. That's a good feeling going into winter with uh, a full freezer, man. I am, I'm probably about one maybe two deer short uh this year but because i'm i don't know about you but my family just flies through the ground venison uh portion of it. oh we do too we do too we'll be out of this before deer season hits again i'm sure of that yeah yep so normally have you been on you were on the nine finger chronicles podcast before right I was not. I've sent you a bunch of messages oh, and talked to you back and forth, but I haven't been on. <laughs> well, now I feel like a <laughs> jackass. Listener, first-time <laughs> now I feel like a jackass, man. Um, oh, it's all good. Uh, well, you're on the, you're on the Hunting Gear podcast today, and we're going to talk about gear, obviously, and how you go about um, selecting your gear. You know, we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about um, functionality, where it's made, that kind of stuff. And then, um, but before we get into that, when you reached out to me, uh, I, I put it all over social media about, Hey, I'm looking for guys to come on the podcast and talk a little bit about how they select their gear. You sent me a little short story about how you got a saddle, you tried it out and then you went back, back to your, uh, went back to your tree stand. So the, my first question is what kind of 
hang on or a, a tree stand setup did you have before you went to a saddle? So I've only been doing a running gun style uh, hunting since 2017. I had a lease that had all kinds of pro- uh, uh, tree stands set up already. Um, and when I lost that lease, I said, screw it. I'm going to sell everything and I'm going to buy a lone wolf. Uh, you wired to hunt. Everybody talks about lone wolf and they are a very good company, very good, high quality. And that's what I ended up buying was a lone wolf assault. Um, their, uh, their running gun setup, you know, with the stick quiver yep. and four sticks. And that's how I started. Okay. And what was that transition like for you going from, you know, set tree stands to a a mobile setup where you were tearing up and setting down, you know, tearing up and tearing down all the time? You know, it, at first it seems like it's going to be a lot of work and there is a lot more work involved to it constantly pulling or putting everything up and pulling it back down but I also don't get any of my tree stands stolen. Yeah. Um, and you know, that was one of the big things was, um, making sure that I was always in different spots where nobody knew I would be and always taking my stuff with me. So nobody ever knew I even was there. Um, but you know, it was, it was interesting the first year trying to run around, hang tree stands. And then, you know, you'd set up in a spot that looked good, see a deer, a hundred yards away. And my first year I was scared to death to get down and, and do anything with that, you know, seeing deer a hundred yards, 50 yards away. Now I will get down and I'll run over there and set right back up in about 15 minutes. Yeah. But you know, that, that all takes time to learn. It, it was a learning experience, just learning how to quickly and quietly set everything up, climb right up into it and be hunting, but it's been well worth it. Yeah. So was there any moments throughout that process where you had encounters or you just kind of said to yourself, okay, this was the right decision to go mobile and, and choose this setup? That first year that I hunted public land, I killed a nice public land eight point for Michigan. Um, and, you know, there was, it was always being somewhere different, always seeing new things. That was the coolest part to me was never sitting in the same spot, but I had, I had multiple encounters. I mean, you can hunt around people when you're doing run and gun style, you know, you see a tree stand, you can go somewhere else. Those people are going to go to that tree stand and you know that. So you're going to, you've got the opportunity to go around them and that, that's pretty fun. I had, I don't even know how many bucks I saw the first year. I could have killed, I think five or six different bucks this year all doing run and gun. And I mean, it's all just been a giant learning curve all around, but yeah, that first year, um, you know, I had, I had a buck chase a doe about 50 yards from me, 60 yards from me. And like I said, at that point, I was kind of worried, you know, to get down and try to reset up in time. And not long after that, it happened again. So I actually moved my tree stand like 10 minutes after I saw these deer go by and about five minutes after I climbed back in to my tree stand right on top of that trail, I could have shot another buck. Um, you know, and that, that's the stuff that's cool with, with hanging hunts to me and running gun is you, you, you could sit there all day and watch deer where you can't shoot them, but what's the point? Yeah, that's fact. 
got to get to where they're at and, uh, yes, you know, being, and obviously this mobile type, you know, there, there's several different ways to, to kill a deer. You got the food plot crew and the, the crew that can manipulate their environment. And then they sit there and they wait for them. And then they have yep. the crew that goes and gets them. And, uh, yep, you know, both, 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 uh, ways work, but, uh, unfortunately, I guess it sounds like you are in the same boat I am that uh, I can't afford land and uh, I don't have the uh, luxury of, you know, manipulating my, my environment, uh, planting food plots and all that stuff or leasing property. So there's that. Now you got to do what you got to do. That's right. That's right. So here's the deal. Um, You then in this little uh, note you sent me said you tried a saddle out. Okay. Yes, sir. Why did you go from a tree stand with sticks uh, that and that mobile setup to go to a saddle? I went to a saddle strictly for the weight. Okay. That that was the biggest reason I went to a saddle was because I could cut the pounds off of my pack and I could walk further without, you know, feeling it. I I wore my saddle into the tree instead of having to carry anything on my back. And that was cool to me. Um, and, and like I said, that was probably the biggest reason I did it so much. It, it seems so much easier until you're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when, cause it said in here, you, you gave it five hunts or five days or whatever. Yep. And then you're just like, uh, uh-uh, ain't working for me. Where did yep. the biggest obstacle come from? I mean, obviously the weight reduction is nice, but where did the biggest obstacle come for you that led to you ultimately not, you know, going back to a tree stand? Well, I have size 13 boots, which on a little tiny platform, which they have multiple different platforms out now. There's a bunch of different ones out. There's some bigger, there's some smaller, there's all kinds of options for like ring of steps to step on, but putting a size 13 boot on a little tiny platform is a little bit of a feat. Um, I I can tell you, honestly, what happened was I practiced all year. Everybody said you have to get into saddle shape, which is what I tried to do. I had my saddle constantly hanging from the side of my porch. I was always shooting off of it, shooting in different directions with it. The biggest thing to me was in the heat of the moment, you're, you're, you're staring at a tree in a saddle. Mm -hmm. The tree is right in your face. Now for me being a right-handed shooter, the first thing that happens every time is that deer is going to come out on the right side of the tree. And if you're a right-handed shooter, you have to come around that whole tree or up above your bridge with your bow to get that shot off on your off side, or you have to learn to flip yourself around. Does that make sense? Yep. Absolutely. And that, that was some of the biggest problem I had. Yeah. Um, the, the time you got time for a story for this whole reason, the whole reason I switched. Yeah, let's do it. On October 4th, I was out on public land looking for, to fill my public land doe tag. And I knew where there was a doe that was constantly bedded, constantly coming into the same corner right before dark to feed and I wanted to put my tag on her. She was a big, mature doe. The 4th of October, I was in there, and I was there for about a half an hour, and this doe comes out at 
15 yards. And I don't know if you've, you've never even sat in a saddle, have you? Yeah, I've sat, I've sat in a saddle before, never shot out of it, but sat in one. So, So drawing, when you, it's hard to explain, but when you have all your weight leaning back on a rope, it seems like you might be using a little bit different muscles to draw your bow. Yep. I don't really know how to explain it, but drawing, you know, standing on your two feet on your porch, drawing back over and over seemed like nothing. But as soon as I got onto, into a saddle, drawing back felt like it took a whole lot more effort than it should have. And I think it's just because of the way, you know, your body's just kind of hanging there off that saddle. Yeah. I, I don't know of any other way to explain it, but this doe came in at 15 yards. I drew back and I shot right over top of her. Okay. No big deal. 10 minutes later, she comes back out and I missed her again. And I said, all right, you know, I've been shooting out of the saddle all year and this is just not right. I don't usually miss deer at 15 yards with my boat, you know? And before I even left the woods that night, I, I literally missed her twice. It was still, there was an hour before uh, dark still, and I climbed down, and I had that thing sold before I walked out of the woods. My whole saddle setup, my saddle, my platform, everything was sold. I said, nope, I'm going back to the tree stand. And, you know, I, I don't know how exactly to explain it, but there it's just so much different than shooting with a solid platform under your feet it, it it just threw me off, I yeah. think. Yeah. Especially when you're used, you know, you've spent your whole life shooting out of a tree stand. Um, do you feel, you know, just in fairness to all the saddle guys out there and to the saddle companies out there, do you feel that if you would have practiced even more than what you did, it would have gotten better? Or is this just something where it's just like, hey, man, I gave it a shot. I'm just not a fan of it. No, I truly believe that in some time I will probably buy another one. I, I liked it. I liked it enough that I want to try it again, but when I'm missing deer at 15 yards, it's not worth it to me. I don't want to wound one. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to what I feel the most comfortable with. Right. There's a lot of guys that have no problem with the saddle. I have a lot of friends that run them, uh, hunt out of them, and they do just fine. My dad uses a saddle. He used He's used one for two years. It just I don't know, something about it for me just didn't work out. But, yes, eventually I'd like to try another one. I don't see any problem with them. It's just it's it's totally different than hunting out of a tree stand. Yeah, okay. And, and giving my personal opinion here is one of the reasons why I haven't even tried one yet is because of one reason. And, you know, if you're if you're standing there on this platform and you're up vertical, right? And, you know, for the most part vertical, you know, you're leaning back just a little bit and, and you're facing the tree and a deer comes to your left. I'm a right-hand shooter, just like you are bingo right there. But yep, exactly. I'm like, there's a lot of times where I'm not hunting just a doe. So if I mess up, it's not a big deal. I'm hunting the biggest, most mature buck on my farm. And I'm going to put myself into a position where I'm going to try to kill him. And if I feel any way, shape or form that a piece of gear is going to restrict me from making in, in the example was 
that you said is what happens if this deer comes from behind me on my right side? Yep. Yeah. The experienced saddle guys, they have an answer for that, right? They drop down and they turn all the way around or they whip themselves around the tree. But I just feel like that movement, especially let's say if he's chasing a doe through, won't allow me to get the job done in time. Now, you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to argue one way. I'm going to argue another, but I, I just feel that I would rather carry around the extra weight yeah. in a tree stand and sticks than I would taking a risk on, you know, not getting a shot opportunity on a deer, uh, because he comes in from this way, uh, this, the side, when, when I'm in a tree stand, all I have to do is stand up and shift really like just shift, yeah, you know? So I don't know. That's just my uh, thought process on it. And it's just not like, that's why I haven't tried it yet, man. No. And I agree completely. And that's one of the things I practiced too, was if a deer came in behind me was flipping around on that little platform. So I was essentially standing on a tree stand looking straight out at that point, but it's a little different when you go up and you're 20 foot in the air and trying to flip your big size 13 boots around on that little platform. That that was one of the things with that doe when I was drawn back was I kept, I, I focused more on my foot placement, I think, than I did on where I was holding my pin. Yeah. And that's not, that's not what I want to do. I don't, in my lone wolf, I know I'm not going to fall out of it unless I take a stupid step off the side. That yeah. platform with the saddle, it felt like one little, you know, one wrong move, I'm going down, which you're not going to go down far, but you're going to go into that tree phase first and it's not going to feel good. Yeah. Yep. Well, there's your story about uh, the old, that is the first opposing, I'm not going to, other than, other than my point of view. And then we've had, you know, the co-host sometimes Bob Polanik, he talks about why he's not in a saddle, but um, other than us two, like you're the only other guy who's really gave his opinion on why he's not you know, into the saddle game and, and the reasons that you gave there. So um, now we can, now that we've talked about that and got that out of the way, I was real, I was real interested in that, but when it comes to gear, right. Uh, what do you do for a living? I'm a CNC machinist, CNC machinist. Okay. So you got a, you got a blue collar job, right? Yes, um, sir. How many kids you got? I have three kids. You have three kids. You married? I am. You married. Do you have a mortgage? I do. You do. You know, like, right? So it all adds up. It, exactly. So, so what? What we have here is I'm just trying to put things in perspective of the the, and I don't want to call you the average Joe, but this average Joe that this podcast is probably dedicated to this episode. Um, you know, I got, I have to make gear decisions all the time, right? I'm lucky because I get some of my gear for free, but I still have to determine what I'm going to buy throughout the year. If I got to save up for it, if I got, if I'm just going to buy it, uh, that kind of stuff. So my question to you is when it comes time for you, you know, you start thinking about, Hey man, I need a, I want a new bow or I, I want a new tree stand or I want a new pair of boots what kind of thought process goes into your purchasing decisions? Oh boy. Well, there's two thought processes. Cause you also have to take into mind my wife, who's going to tell me what I can and can't buy. <laughs> 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 you know, my, my first thing that I always do, if I'm looking 
to buy anything. You know, I listen to podcasts all the time. When I'm at work doing my job, I got a headphone in my ear and I'm listening to podcasts. Uh, yours is one of the top of the list. And I hear about all the gear that everybody uses. And, you know, you're always going to have people on two sides, you know, like me right now saying that I wasn't into the saddle, but there's going to be 50,000 guys saying that I'm wrong. Yeah. And that's kind of the way it's going to go with any kind of gear. And I just look for, you know, the, if I'm looking, let's say when I was looking for my lone wolf assault setup, I looked at everybody's reviews. I heard you talking about them. Um, and you know, I've had buddies that have ran them for a long time, but the biggest problem was lone wolf isn't cheap Yeah. and neither is any of the new stuff that's coming out for run and gun hunting. Um, and you know, the thing with that though is, with a running gun setup, I don't have to sit down every spring and say, okay, I'm going to need to buy another tree stand this year. I've bought one and it has lasted me. And that's one of the things, you know, if I'm going to spend a lot of money, it's got to be quality that I don't have to replace every year. Yeah. So are you, do you put yourself in the category of cry once, buy once? type you know where it's expensive you know it's expensive but the quality reflects the price and therefore you're going to have it for you know x number of years and then you won't need it anymore yeah that i mean that's pretty much how i am nowadays you know when i was younger and didn't have such a great job and everything it was you know i can buy this tree stand for 60 dollars, and if it breaks by next year i can just go buy another one yeah um, but now i don't want to be buying things all the time if I am, it's going to be buying stuff to get my kids into it. And that's one of the things, you know, like with that lone wolf, I know it's quality. I know I love it. And when my boys are ready to start doing this with me, I pretty much know where I'm going to hit. Yeah. And that, you know, I'll spend the money on myself and test it. And if I don't like it, then I'll sell it. And that's just what it is. And I will always, always give an honest review on stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, pretty much anymore you have to buy once cry once otherwise you're just constantly going to be changing yeah do you have any um experiences or stories of maybe a product that you you purchased and other other than the saddle because we've covered that but that you purchased and maybe the quality that you uh wasn't there after you purchased it and was disappointed with it or, um, or a a product that you're like, Hey man, you know, I, uh, I only got 30 bucks or X number of dollars. I need something cheap. That's going to get me through this year. And it, and it overperformed and it just, it, you're still using it. Um, I have one that I spent quite a bit of money on. I don't know how, uh, if you want me to drop names or companies or anything, but I had a certain, a certain tree stand from a different manufacturer that lasted me, I think, 27 hunts before the weld snapped at the seat post. Who was that? You can uh, say that it. Was, uh, that was a Hawk Explorer okay. running gun setup. Okay. That was what they had originally. Uh, I don't even know. I bought that one before, my Lone Wolf, um, and it was, I don't even remember. It was like $230 or something. It was It was a decent budget tree stand but yeah i set it up in the backyard one day to shoot at it and i was like man this thing feels creaky and yeah the weld was snapped at the seat post and i'm glad i thought when i was three feet off the ground yeah so that was before the season even started it broke 
No, that was after I hunted out of it for a season and was setting it up in my yard just to practice out of okay. before the, the, the following season. Okay. So when, when that happened, did you contact the manufacturer and let them know, Hey man, I did. this broke. And what was your interaction with them? Like, uh, it, I had no problems with them. They did not any longer make that stand. So they sent me a, uh, what was it? I think it was a helium XL or something like that. They sent me one of their other run and gun quote unquote style tree stands that was way too heavy and too much of a pain in the butt to actually run and gun hunt with that one's actually up at my parents' property on their, on their land. They can hunt out of it. Gotcha. So as far as, you know, the, the defect that happened there after a season of use, um, do you think, and I'm just asking because I'm curious, did you like for me, I'll be honest with you. I beat the shit out of my equipment. I throw it in the back of my truck. I'll throw it in the garage, hang it up, you know, and in just the way that I use my gear, I need it to last because I'm, I, I'm self-admittedly abusive to it. So I am the same way. So do you think it was poor quality or or just a, like a freak, like a, a freak, uh, break that all manufacturers go through? I honestly think it was a bad weld Okay. based on what I looked at. And, you know, we do a lot of welding at my work. And based on what I saw, it, it looked like it was a bad weld. Yeah. Which I can't guarantee that or promise that. or And I'm not speaking Elon Hawk that yeah. way at all, but that's how it is. But you think about that, right? You didn't, let's just say, and I, I don't want to talk shit on a company either, but you you take into consideration that 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 broke while you were practicing what happens if it's a you know a you're setting up in the dark and exactly you know and you step in like for a for a uh i know you're supposed to be hooked up to the tree all the time but there comes a point in a running gun setup where you have to disconnect from the tree to step on your platform and or you're already on your platform and you disconnect to take your safety harness and put it above your head and that is what i do and i i hate it it's the one thing that i dislike about running gun is trying to figure out how to get onto that stand but yeah if i if i would have done that 20 feet up and that seat weld was cracked it could have possibly ended up pretty disastrous yeah yeah. Well, so uh, I will spend the money on quality from now on. Right. So, but it sounds like they took care of you and they sent you uh, another yes, tree sir. stand. Right. Okay. Yes, so sir, they did. All right. So, and, and then that ultimately led you to your lone wolf purchase. Correct. Yep. Oh, okay. So what about, um, maybe a product that you bought cheap, but it overperformed? <laughs> you know what? And as dumb as this might sound to people, have you ever used that butt out tool? You know, uh, I have not, but I you hear should. people talk about it. <laughs> that is seriously the dumbest piece of equipment that you can spend about, I don't even know, 20 bucks on. And those things, everybody that's seen us use them is like, holy cow, we got to get one of those. It's so much faster. Yeah. Um, now, they granted, they're cheap and they you can snap them. They're plastic. But for the price of them, you can just buy another one. They are seriously worth every penny that you put into them. Okay. So how, how do they work? You just ram it right up the rectum of, of the deer, <laughs> yeah. and then you just pull it out, or do you have to make some cuts along the way? 
you go in basically when you're gutting them out, you, uh, you take their chute there and you cut it off. And what I usually do is tie it off. So nothing goes up into the body cavity when I'm pulling everything out the rear end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you put that in, you twist it two or three times and you will feel it grab and you kind of feel everything just tear and you pull it out and every single thing that's inside comes right out the back end. Okay. So what? So, no cutting the pelvic bone, nothing. Okay. So, but all the other guts still have to come out from the gutting process, right? They don't yes. all fall. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right, cool. So I'll give you a quick, I'll give you a really quick, um, man, I'm going to say 13 years. I had the same grunt call. I don't even know what brand it was. Um, I, I'm going to guess a Primos. But I bought it for 10 bucks in like 2003, maybe. And I had it until 2015 before it finally just wore out. I mean, like if it got to, if it got cold, the reed would freeze and I couldn't grunt out of it. Like it, but it lasted 13 years. And to this day, I have not found a single grunt call that will replicate that noise of this deep guttural, like the, you know, you know, sometimes you can hear a, a young buck come through and he makes a little meeps, you know, like a, yep. and then yep. uh, if you hear a, a big dominant buck grunt, it's like, you know, like, and you can hear that. And I heard that in that, and I and I'm pissed. Because I wish I wish I could find like a stockpile of it, and I have yet to find a grunt call. the The grunt call that I use now is one of those grunt calls where uh, it sounds close enough to it, but it's still not the same as what this was. And I was pissed when it broke because I was like, "I'm never gonna grunt in another deer again," you know, it's just like. <laughs> But. No, and that, you know, speaking of grunt calls, I, I, I spent good money on mine. I actually use what uh, a company called Timber Freak Game Calls. They're out of Michigan. It's actually a buddy of mine's business. Um, but his, he makes them all, you know, custom made. And that thing, I don't even remember what the price was, but it was over $100 for that grunt call, which is oh, wow. stupid to pay for a grunt call. But it is seriously the best sounding grunt call I've ever had. Um, all adjustable, you know, fawn, doe, bleat, um, young buck, old buck, everything. Uh, but yeah, that's one of them things that I paid good money on and I'm, I'm really glad I did because it sounds really good. Okay. One thing that I don't want to lose. All right. So shout out your buddy's company again. So everybody hears it. That's called Timber Freak Game Calls. Okay, Timber Freak Game Calls. I'll have to look into that, but I'll be honest, I'm not paying $100 for a grunt call. Oh, I, I understand. <laughs> I completely understand. There's a lot of people who will, and there's a lot of people that won't. That's so. right. That's right. All right, so, um, you know, when it comes to finally making a decision on on gear, how much of the you know, you, you have all these categories that you have to think about functionality, right? Where it's made uh, cost, where, where does cost to you land? I mean, you got, you got bills just like everybody else does. You're not getting your gear for free. Um, so yep. when it comes to purchasing a product, uh, how do you rate a product on how or if you should buy it? Well, you know, 
like I said earlier, I look at a lot of reviews and listen to a lot of stuff. And if everybody's saying this is what you need, this is good gear, then money is pretty much second most important at that point. I want to know that I'm going to put my money towards something that's worth it first. Right. Um, but you know, then it's just, Hey, if I, if I don't have the cash right now, it'll only take me a couple of weeks or a couple of months to, to get it. And I will make sure that that's what I have because if everybody's saying it's quality, most of the time, you know, I've got plenty of stores around that I can go look at everything and get a feel for what I like. Um, and you know, that's, yeah, money's money's a huge object in everybody's lives, but when it comes to stuff like this, like your tree stand that could could or could not result in a failure and a fall, I, I I'd rather spend a lot of money on it and like you said, cry once yeah. than cry twice because I'm now laying at the bottom of a tree. Yeah. Right. All right. So so it's almost like you need you need verification from people to determine if the the product is worth it or not. Are are you an online shopper or do you like to go into the stores and the pro shops and look at something before you purchase it? I I do a lot of looking at the stores. Um, of course, recently you can't really go to a store. Um, a lot of stuff is closed around here. You got to mandatorily mask up. Um, so I haven't been doing a whole lot of store shopping, but I like to go to the stores when I can just to be able to go and talk to people. You know, if I can talk to, we have a, a store right here that a lot of the guys are hunters, you know, and they use the gear that is in their store. And that's, that's how you make a successful sporting goods store. In my opinion, you have to have people that know the equipment. Absolutely. And when I can go in and pick their brains and say, you know, this is what I'm looking for and they can run me through every option. That is the most helpful. The internet is good, but you know, you're going to have them guys who say, I just bought this. Did I make a good decision? I'm not doing that. I'm yeah. going to say, am I making a good decision before I spend the money? Yeah. Yeah. That makes a but lot of yeah, sense. I, I, I do like to go to the stores. Um, you know, we have a Cabela's not too far from us that has, you know, they had the lone wolf tree stands when I was looking at them and they actually had one on display on their, you know, little fake trees there. And that it's very helpful to see everything in person and set up properly right yes sir yeah okay so so then obviously comes the money part you know does there is there a price point for you where it's just like okay uh no way am i gonna buy that product for that just like i said earlier you know <laughs> i don't care what the grunt call does if it does my taxes for me i'm probably still not gonna spend <laughs> spend uh, you know a hundred bucks on a grunt call but if you could kill your biggest iowa buck next year though if you did <laughs> well if i was if it was guaranteed <laughs> if it was guaranteed maybe but uh i absolutely agree but is there is there a price point on certain products or categories or, or just in general that you go jesus man i know it's good well, but it can't be that good you know and and I'm not going to pick on anybody, but there is, you know, a lot of new tree stands coming out that are five, six, seven hundred $700. And I'm like, man, you know, for, for the four fifty or whatever, I originally spent on my lone wolf. I, the only advantage I see that anybody's getting is that everything is getting a little bit smaller, easier to stack, um, lower profile, you know, the way people are stacking sticks on stands. Now they're getting real low profile, tree stands on their back but you know we're talking 
tons of money just for a tree stand. You're, you're going to talk over a thousand dollars for four sticks and a stand. Yeah. And I could have two of my lone wolf setups for that, <laughs> yeah. you know? So that's kind of one of them things. And, and that's not knocking anybody. I know it costs a lot of money to machine and fabricate and everything, but yeah, there, there's a certain point where I'm like, man, for $300, $400 less, I'm, I'm just as happy as everybody else. I think. Yeah. What about, you know, are, are, do you care about specific camo patterns or gear like uh, clothing? How do you, how do you break down your clothing purchases, whether it's a base layer or hell, you could still be a cotton hoodie guy. No, you know what? For, for the first 15, 16 years of my deer hunting life, it was Walmart camo, hand-me-down camo, whatever we had. Um, now, you know, I'm still not picky about a camo pattern. I actually just this, this year, uh, went out and got, uh, or this past year went out and got set lock. And that was the first time I've ever spent any kind of real good money on hunting clothes. And even, you know, they match, but I didn't pick it based on camo pattern or style or anything like that. I used, um, you know, my biggest thing now with clothing I want to be warm. I always wear a base layer. Even if it's, you know, a warmer day out, I might just hunt in a a base layer shirt and my camo pants. Um, But, you know, with my camouflage, I'm not picky. I just, I want good stuff. I'm I'm more interested in pockets that are usable um, because I'm always carrying tons of stuff. I self-filmed everything this year, so that had a lot of gear to go with me. Um, you know, I had tried on a coat that had a chest pocket when I was trying on, uh, clothing at the store and the chest pocket was good, but you couldn't even put your phone in it. And that's one thing that I, I'm kind of picky about because my phone always goes in my chest pocket. If anything ever happens, it's right there that I can call my wife or call a friend and say, Hey, something's going on. I need you. And, you know, for, for clothes to have a worthless pocket that won't hold anything in it, I won't buy it. Yeah. Um, but you know, my, my cold weather gear, I wear, uh, what's called, it's a brand called Shiver Shield. Um, it's one layer that I wear, I wear their bibs in their coat and I will wear just their bibs, their coat and a, uh, set of long or, you know, thermal underwear, whatever base layers in oh man last year we hunted a coyote tournament in negative 18 degrees and i was still warm nice Nice. and that you know that's expensive gear but that's cold weather gear and for michigan you need some cold weather gear yeah so you're not now i guess the whole the whole point of that kind of question was to lead into this and that is are you brand loyal there are some brands i do I do work with uh, Shiver Shield. I'm good friends with them over there. Um, you know, there's certain brands that I will not move off of because I have no reason to. Um, there's a lot of companies that I don't actually work closely with that I still will always buy their stuff because every time I do, it's good gear or good, you know, well-spent money. Yeah. Um, you know, but I'm there's a lot of stuff that I don't care what it is. I shot PSE bows for, well, since I was like 15 till I was 29 and I went out and bought a prime 
you know, it just shot better for me, but I always had loved my PSEs before that. It's all, it's all going to come down to what works best for me yeah. at that point. Yeah. Are you, in, are you influenced by people? I, I know that when it comes to, you know, you read reviews and you kind of get a feel for, you know, what people are liking and that may have led you to buy certain products, but when it comes to advertising, or social media, you know how sometimes a brand can feel like, uh, I don't, I don't want to say gang, but like a, a, a club, <laughs> a club, right? Like certain brands, they are advertising as is almost, and this is the way it comes off uh, with me is if you, you're not cool unless you use this brand, or if you want to be cool, you got to use this brand. Right. And I feel like some people make their decisions based off of that. Do you, or have you ever been influenced by that kind of marketing? I probably have at some point, but anymore, you know, I'm 32. I don't have time for your games just because you want to sell stuff. I want to buy good gear. Yeah. Um, and, and I know exactly what you're talking about. That's kind of what it was with the saddle. You know, as soon as I started telling people, Hey, you know, you, you might want to try it before you go out and hunt with it or, you know, think about your options. You know, I, I had the same thing kind of ganged up on like, well, maybe you just didn't do it right. Or you didn't practice (laughs) long enough. Like, no, how about this? Cause three days later I went and hung up my lone wolf and I killed that same doe. So why would I not? change to what I know works. Right. And I think, I think a lot of people forget that, especially like you said, when it comes to the actual bow, right? I I just feel like people go and buy brands without test, like really testing all the, the bows on the market, right? Like they do. I I try to, uh, me personally, if I'm going to go and get a new bow, or I go and it may in, in my shoes, hell, before I even approach a uh, a new sponsor, I like to go out and shoot all of the bows throughout the entire market on on the on the market and see which one fits better. And I think people in, in the bow category really just kind of blindly buy their bows. They 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 know their <laughs> their draw length and they know what poundage they want. They maybe even think about what their axle to axle is going to be. But when they go to actually purchase the bow, they're just brand out. Well, I'm going to buy this brand or this brand. And when they should be trying out every, you know, multiple brands, multiple bows, multiple, uh, axle to axles or whatever, uh, to find that perfect, uh, draw length to find, you know, what fits them best on, you know, the, the hand shock or, or, all you know because everybody's built different right so um, when you when you went to purchase your prime after you know you shot pse for all those years how many bows did you test out before you purchased that (laughs) prime in all reality three three okay which ones were i shot they were all prime and they all the only difference i think was the draw length that or the draw or axle to axle length i think at that point um I, I shoot a prime ion at 70 pounds. Um, my, my main thing was that PSE that I used to shoot, you know, and I, I loved, I shot, I, I don't know if you remember their X force, the first speed bow pretty much that came out 350 feet per second. Um, that's what I shot for a long time, but then it got to the point where it was like, you know, I would rather have the forgiveness and, 
you know, with a speedboat, a lot of times you get it back to that back wall and it kind of feels like it's trying to rip your arm off. Yeah. It just wants to go. And I was losing confidence in that, um, kind of struggling holding on target while holding the bow back. And when I went and picked up those couple primes, it honestly didn't take me. I, I didn't shoot enough of them, honestly, but I don't, didn't feel at that point like I needed to because I shot enough of, I, I shot the one that I ended up buying enough times to know that, yes, this thing fits me great. Yeah. So when you, so what led you to prime at that point? Why did you say, you know, I only tested three bows, but they were all prime. Um, honestly, the only thing that led me to that was a bunch of buddies of mine that had been shooting them. And they said, dude, if you want something that's got a, a good let off and is pretty, it has a lot of forgiveness, you know, you need to try them. And that's what I did. Uh, prime G five is all out of Michigan as well. I believe at least. Yeah. Yep. They're out but, of uh, Michigan. Yep. So that, that's kind of important to me too, is trying to help the Michigan companies a little when i can um but you know that was just everybody kept saying you need to go shoot one if you if you really want a forgiving bow you need to go shoot one and that's what i did and i i haven't looked back yeah so what what was it about the prime specifically that you that you liked um you know there's very little hand shock in that bow compared to a super fast speed bow uh, the back wall is pretty solid, but there's that. It, it's not feeling like it's tearing your arm off. Yeah. I can hold steady. Um, I, I mean, it just, everything about that bow when I first picked it up, you, you know, when you pick something up and you know, you kind of just know it fits you. Yeah. That's just, that's just what happened with this bow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and obviously you're happy with that decision. Yes, sir. Right. Is there ever a product that you can that you think of when you buy? Like, obviously, you're spending good money money on the Prime. You spent good money on the the Lone Wolf tree stands, and obviously, these aren't products that you're buying new every single year. But is there ever a product that you always say, "I'm just going to buy the cheapest one I can find"? Ah, uh, man! If I thought enough about it, I could probably tell you one, but. <laughs> Uh, off the top of my head, I can't really because I've stopped kind of going the cheapest route yeah. anymore. Right, right. Are there any products that you purchase for hunting that are not necessarily marketed towards hunting? And I'll use my uh, my L.L. Bean wool sweater for example. I heard uh, about that. Yeah, so that is a that's a product L.L. Bean. You know they have they they market towards the outdoors, but not hunting specifically. So um, I've made it kind of a a, a goal to, that when hey, if I need some new clothing or if I need a new pro you know a product, I'm going to look other places than than outside of the hunting uh, community for some of those products. Now, obviously, I can't look outside the hunting uh, the hunting community for you know, bows and arrows and because that's archery and, and hunting are, are kind of all intertwined with each other. Yeah. But, um, you know, or, or even boots, right. There's, there's boots or, or some, some clothing and stuff like that. Uh, do you ever look for products outside of the hunting industry? 
Honestly, I, I never really do because that's that's every group I'm in on Facebook is hunting. You know, everything is – everybody talks about the hunting products. Actually, you are probably the first person, I think it was on your last gear podcast, um, that was talking about that L.L. Bean stuff that made me think, well, shoot, I wonder – you know, there's got to be a company out there that's making camouflage stuff that's not marketed for hunting that you might actually be able to get pretty cheap. I, you'd have to think there'd be a, a weird camo pattern somewhere that's just, it, it's not made for hunting, but it might work. I'll, but tell, no. you, I'll tell you this, they do. Uh, so I got a funny story for you. I was downtown Atlanta, Georgia, right? I was in this area i don't want to call it the downtown area but it was kind of off to you know to the side where all the big buildings were at not necessarily downtown and i walked into this this store called bandanas and boom boxes that was literally (laughs) the name of the store okay and i walked into it and i they had urban camo Right. So it was the the red and blacks and the white and blacks and and, uh, different variations of the same camo pattern, but in bolder, brighter colors for that. You know, it's called urban camo. So I bought a a black and white urban camo T-shirt and I wore it around for a while, but um, they do make camo. And I don't (laughs) want to say they necessarily had a marketing budget to to advertise that kind of camo, but, um, they do make camo that is uh, not marketed towards hunting. I'm curious, were you going into to bandanas and boom boxes to buy the bandanas or the boom boxes? <laughs> well, what were you going in for? Well, it's curious. <laughs> I was curious because I had never been into a store where the name of the store was actually what they sold. So imagine, <laughs> imagine going to your grocery store and it was like bananas and bread was the name of the store. <laughs> well, isn't that like Toys R Us used to be? Oh man, I don't know. I don't know. So, so to answer your question, yes. Um, but let's let's see here. Um, other other than that, you have some kids. How old are your kids? Uh, my oldest boy is 10, my uh, middle boy, my second kid is eight, and my daughter is seven, and it'll soon be eight, nine, or 10, nine, and eight. <laughs> okay, so you just went back to back to back. Oh, yeah, yeah, we had a small house, so when, you know, stuff happened. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you got all these kids uh, coming up, and, you know, you're going to get them into the outdoors as well, or you already have, knowing that they probably won't hunt as much as you do you imply your same purchasing decisions on their gear that you do on yours i do because well oh man you know like with the tree stand yes i'm going to if they're going to hunt out of a tree stand i'm going to spend the money because i feel like they're going to be safe in it and i will not have to worry about that failing on them um you know with clothes and stuff you've got kids you can't buy a set of clothes for a kid this week that are going to fit them next week anymore yeah um, because they grow so fast. So like our clothes, you know, my mom and dad have always saved a whole bunch of our stuff. A lot of my kids clothes came from me when I was their age. Um, but you know, there, there's a lot of things that I, I could tell you a little story, you know, last year I'm a big coyote hunter. So I built a 243 AR 10 and I put every bit 
of high quality parts in there that I could because I wanted my boys to be able to, to hunt behind it. And I spent really good money on that build specifically. So I knew when my kids were behind it, something wasn't going to blow up in their face. And that's kind of how I want to be with all of their stuff. You know, I know what's, what it's going to take to have good gear. Granted, you know, you buy a brand new hundred dollar fishing roll fishing rod for a kid because you know, that it worked good for you you're probably going to take them fishing and that fishing pole is going to end up in the bottom of the lake so there's some things like that that you know i'll spend twenty dollars on five different times because i know they're going to just need to keep getting different ones the way they they are with it you know yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense and and when it comes to kids this is the first thing that i found out and that is when if your kids are not comfortable they are not going to sit there and tolerate it. They will cry. Oh. They'll, they'll speak up. They'll be loud. They'll, they'll move a lot. And so making sure that they're comfortable in some way, shape or form, you know, and obviously if you really want them to follow down the path of that, it's probably not going to be cheap when it comes to no. getting gear that's comfortable. Now I, I say that because I say that with an asterisk because this this spring, when I took my daughter uh, into the turkey blind with me, I put her in black snow pants and uh, a bright teal, uh, you know, her, her snow jacket that she wears to school. So, yep. but it, it did the job and we were in a blind. Now, obviously, when, you know, if we I was going to take her deer hunting or if I was going to take her, you know, trotting through the woods, chasing turkeys, I probably would not... Uh, bring those you know wear that same outfit but i mean there's multiple functions for uh, things that you already have so oh absolutely and my kids do the same thing snow pants under their under their ca- or yeah you know snow pants and then their camo layer just so they've got that insulation inside there um my oldest my 10 year old he can kind of deal with a lot of that stuff uh my eight-year-old boy he had an opportunity to go shoot a doe this year it would have been his first um, and it was, God, I don't even know. It was only like 40 degrees, which isn't terribly cold, but he only lasted about an hour before I looked down and he had tears streaming down his face because he was so cold. And I said, uh, you want to go? Yeah, dad, I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, so, you know, it's, it's stuff like that where, yeah, you, you want to spend, I want to go out and spend $500 on my kids to keep them warm, you know, but you're you're essentially wasting money at that point, in my opinion, because it's not going to last them very long at all. So that, yeah, I mean, we kind of do the same thing. Hey, throw on some sweatpants, throw on your camo, throw on a hoodie, now throw on a camo coat, and we're good to go, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Cool, man. Well, um, this has been a really good BS session. Um, I I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, BS with me, man. Uh, thanks for that. Good luck to you in all your future purchasing decisions and in the woods in 2021, man. Hey, thank you. You too. Thank you for inviting me on.